you beyond the borderline this is a podcast dedicated to exploring in a realistic and hopeful way what it's like to live with borderline personality disorder and other mental health problems. My name is Aline and I am your host for this podcast. I want to issue a proviso at the beginning of the podcast which is that this is absolutely not a substitute for professional mental health and or medical intervention. So please seek out those sources of support if you need them. And I also want to mention that I will be discussing topics such as self-harm and suicidal ideation and addiction that may be triggering for a number of people. I aim not to discuss those topics in a detailed way as I don't really think that adds anything to the discussion and does not really fit in with the mission of this podcast. However, in a spirit of being authentic about my life with borderline personality disorder, those topics will be mentioned in this and subsequent episodes. And I will do my best to issue trigger warnings before I start discussions about those or other potentially triggering topics. Hello, everyone. Before I start today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. The first one is a request. If you have a few extra minutes, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. If you enjoy this podcast and get some benefit from its content, your review would really help it to gain more listeners who may also benefit from the content that I'm sharing. The second announcement is I am now planning to stick to a monthly schedule. So I'll be releasing new episodes once a month, if possible, bi-monthly. At the moment, that is what I have time for. And as I want to stick to a consistent schedule rather than post a number of episodes and then not post any for a while, I thought that a monthly schedule would be the most realistic. If I have more time, I will endeavour to add an extra episode every month. On to the episode. Attention-seeking, manipulative, difficult, abusive, treatment-resistant, untrustworthy. Welcome to the world of stereotypes about people with borderline personality disorder and with personality disorders in general. In this episode, I will share why I think these terms need to not only be challenged, but actually thrown out if you want to see meaningful change in yourself or in a loved one with BPD. I will be focusing on borderline personality disorder because that's what I live with. However, this episode could apply to people with other personality disorders too. In my opinion, there are people out there who consciously and calculatedly act in unscrupulous ways to derive advantages over other people. Now, I don't have the experience or the knowledge to address those people and their patterns of behaviour. So for the purpose of this episode, I will be mainly focusing on 
those of us with BPD. Let's start with attention seeking. The term is pretty judgmental. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, oh my God, he's just so attention seeking or she just wants attention in a really derogatory way. I have and I've cringed. In my teens, I felt like many teenagers, out of place and disconnected despite having friends. Part of this was a result of moving to another country due to my father's job and a whole new school. Part of it was probably hormones. As I grew older though, these feelings didn't lessen, they intensified. I felt alone, unconnected and abandoned, though on the surface I was fairly friendly and chatty, had friends and a lot to look forward to. A look or a tone of voice could throw me into acute pain that I medicated with an eating disorder. And some of my behaviours, like talking in a foreign accent to get someone's attention and lying and exaggerating certain facts when I told stories about my past experiences, didn't sit well with me at all. Yet I couldn't seem to help them. When I behaved in these ways, I truly believed what I was saying. In short, at some level, I believed I was an attention seeker and fundamentally flawed as a person. Have you ever beat yourself up thinking, I must be a terrible person? Have you perhaps even self-harmed in response to self-hatred brought on by considering yourself as attention seeking? I have. So what does attention seeking even mean? Because don't all human beings need attention and validation? Why is that term lobbed at people with BPD in particular, including, unfortunately, by some medical and mental health professionals? Well, let me share a few examples from my own life to try and get a handle on this. When I was 17, I lived in a shared house with three other college students. Now, I was absolutely obsessed with one of my housemates. He was someone who liked me as a friend, nothing more than that, and had his own obsession with another girl who I don't think was interested in him. So it was a very confusing situation. And to give you an idea of how obsessed I was with him, the first time I met him, I literally had met him once. I told him I loved him. I then spent a year or so desperately trying everything I could to make him love me, often in some pretty humiliating ways, I have to say. Having undiagnosed and untreated BPD at the time, I can tell you that this relationship was sheer agony. Those of us with BPD don't have the wiring required to regulate our emotions naturally in the way that other people can. And as a consequence, we can live with unbearably intense emotional states. We can go from rage to despair to elation in moments. I've heard it described as being a third degree burn victim without a skin to filter out or regulate emotions. We may feel intense love for people we barely know unless we have the awareness and tools to examine and challenge our assumptions about these people and to regulate our emotions, we tend to assume our feelings are facts. So one night, 
30 years ago. I was so frustrated that my housemate was talking about this other girl and wasn't showing any romantic interest in me that I went out into the garden and this was late at night, probably coming up to midnight and I lay down in the grass and I just lay there and I wouldn't move. And I decided I was going to sleep there outside until something happened. I wasn't sure what. I was in so much emotional pain that the only way I could think to express it and make my point that I felt rejected and devalued was to go and lie in the grass. And when I did that, I could tell immediately that my friend was worried about me. In fact, he came out and begged me to come inside. And in that moment, I felt a tiny, tiny bit of relief from the intense feelings of rejection and abandonment. And I also felt a bit embarrassed about what I'd done. Now, I'm sharing this because it's an example of what could be called attention-seeking behaviour. Certainly, it's not a way I would choose to behave because it's kind of embarrassing. It didn't really get me what I wanted. Yeah, it's just not something I would really want to do. But the point is that at that time in my life, I just simply did not have the tools to understand or express the profound distress I felt in this friendship. Despite being a high achiever at college, my self-esteem was low and I could not detach my emotions from this very unavailable person, despite clear signs that he was not interested in me. In fact, he told me that directly. Now, another example of how I've behaved in a way that's often considered to be attention-seeking is that when about seven, eight years ago, I was suicidal on a daily basis. I often used to turn up at A&E begging to be admitted after and sometimes before a self-harm episode. So BPD clients in mental health services sometimes get the attention-seeking label from frustrated mental health professionals when these clients express suicidal ideation. But I want you to consider this. What if you have no idea how to stop the impulsive urges to self-harm? And what if loved ones are sick of talking about it? And what if you can't afford therapy or don't know how to access it? In the absence of any tools to understand your triggers, physiology and how to self-soothe and validate yourself, isn't turning up at a &E actually a pretty responsible thing to do before or after a self-harm attempt? For me, it's been therapy, medication, and I understand that medication isn't a solution for everyone and other resources like peer support that have helped me to get out of that self-harm to A&E and back to self-harm loop. Now for that I needed access to the therapy and I needed a diagnosis and it took me a long time to get those for various reasons. I'm sharing this because I don't know one person with BPD, who wants to be turning up at an A&E department, who wants to be self-harming. So the term attention-seeking, for me, would be more accurately replaced by perhaps looking for help, seeking reassurance, trying to reduce emotional suffering. Now, another term that I hear that 
makes me cringe too is the word dramatic. I've often heard people with BPD described as drama queens or they're very dramatic or or something of that ilk. I want to share with you that a therapist told me once that it was absolutely fine to be a dramatic person and that it was a question of channeling the drama in a way that was productive and contributed to my self-esteem. When I started a group therapy program to help me with the symptoms of borderline personality disorder, I really wanted to get well. At that time, I saw recovery somewhat incorrectly as a linear A to Z process. I wanted to do whatever it took to get better and reach this magical point of being cured of BPD, which I now realise doesn't exist. I was so terrified of being labelled as attention-seeking and all those other negative terms that BPD people often get called that I consciously removed everything from my behaviour that could be interpreted in any way as negative. And that really didn't make sense either because I was trying to make myself into someone I wasn't. I was doing that from a belief that there was something fundamentally wrong with me, which there isn't. The thing is that we all need attention. Every human being needs care, love, understanding, attention and validation. Some of us simply did not learn how to ask for these things in effective ways. And so we need to learn how. And that's all. Okay, so let's talk about the word manipulative. Now, that's a very common word that you'll hear people with BPD being described as. Once again, I'm afraid to say I've heard this from mental health professionals. I don't approve of it, but I get it because I have worked with people who have personality disorders. Sometimes the behaviour of someone who's suffering from these symptoms is really difficult to deal with. But let's face it, no one wants to be called manipulative. It's a word that reeks of dishonesty and bad character and of moral failing. Let's be real though for a minute, because if manipulation involves trying to get other people to see things a certain way, trying to control people and situations, then every single human being manipulates. And this is something else a therapist pointed out to me. Looking up the dictionary definition of manipulate, there are two definitions. The first one is handle or control, typically in a skillful manner. And the second one is control or influence a person or situation cleverly, unfairly or unscrupulously. So here's my take on this. The key words for me in that second definition are unfairly or unscrupulously. Okay, so I'm not about to justify behaviour which is dishonest or unscrupulous. In my personal experience... That was never my intent. Speaking as someone with BPD, I can think of many occasions when I tried to control people and situations, not calculatedly, in an effort to avoid perceived rejection and and abandonment. I convinced myself, for example, I had interests that I didn't, that I was someone I wasn't, and that I could do things I couldn't and not do things I could 
to make people, in quotes, like and accept me. Of course, in the long term, these strategies left me feeling more alienated and resentful than ever because they disconnected me from myself. These strategies actually contributed to self-harm episodes and eating disorders. Is that kind of behaviour being manipulative, trying to get people to like me by misrepresenting myself or convincing myself that I like certain things that another person did? Would you say that that's being manipulative? Well, you could argue that it is. But the thing is that labelling my behaviour with such a morally charged word did not help me change. It just shamed me. And for those of us with BPD, core shame is often a huge issue. And I'm still learning about the difference between justified and unjustified shame. Now, what actually helped me and continues to help me to change these behaviours, you know, sometimes I do still try to please others in small ways to fit in, much less than I used to. What helped me to change and continues to help me to change was and is to experience the emotions that come when I'm more congruent with myself and others and and survive them. I'm talking about like disagreeing with someone and saying, actually, no, I don't like that. Or thanks, I don't want to do that. Setting boundaries, and setting limits. And that has been, as someone with BPD, a very, very difficult thing for me to do. And also something that I've understood and accepted that I need to learn how to do in order to live a happier life. Another thing that's really helped me with the behaviours that I, I struggle with has been to try and find some compassion and consider where these coping behaviours came from, because that's what they are, they're coping behaviours. And for me, as is the case for many other people, it was childhood. The other part of learning to change these coping behaviours is for me to learn more about my internal landscape and start validating that so I'm less dependent on the external validation of others for survival. A key part of doing this for me has been to use a non-judgmental approach to my emotions and behavioural urges. Another part has been defining my values. So for example, by deciding that one of my core values is compassion, I can make the choice to be kinder to myself when I don't assert myself as courageously as I would like to, while also taking on board that speaking my truth is a good way to be compassionate to myself and that I need to keep building that muscle. I'm more able to notice things like, I'm feeling sad and I have an urge to call this person or self-harm or spend compulsively or lie in bed all day. And most of the time I'm able to remember that self-compassion, if I'm going to live by that value, requires that I treat myself better than that. Now that doesn't mean that I'm absolutely perfect and I jump up out of bed at seven in the morning and I never spend compulsively and I never call that person I don't want to call. What it means is that I do it less rather than lying in bed for the whole day. I get up by a certain time in the morning even though I don't want to. Rather than spend to the degree that I don't have money to cover my bills, I treat myself to something. I put a cap on how much I spend. 
If this sounds easy, let me tell you it isn't because I spend a lot of time riding the waves of my thoughts and emotions and accepting that some days are better than others. I still have urges to verbally attack people, to isolate, to binge on food and to spend money. I don't have. Sometimes I feel suicidal. That's my reality. But things are much, much better than they were. And one thing I can state with certainty is that terms like attention-seeking and manipulative did not help me to get to where I am today. So I hope this episode has given you some food for thought. I'd love to hear, as always, about your thoughts and feedback on this episode. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at beyond the B-O-R-D-E-3. So that's at beyond the border but instead of border it's b-o-r-d-e and then instead of the r it's a three beyond the border three hope that makes sense i'd love to hear from you i wish you peace i'd love to hear from you i wish you a peaceful tomorrow and at the very least a few peaceful moments in your day